This is tape number six of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. The subject of his sixth message is Faith When Concerned About Others, Part One. And from the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is found in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 8, and it reads as follows. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together, and Isaac spoke to Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Faith When Concerned About Others, Part 1. Message number 6 of the series, Faith From Heaven to Earth. And uh, in this year of teaching about how God builds faith in us, last week we talked about the kind of perseverance that God builds in us when we are personally in discouraging circumstances, when negatives come toward us. This week we're going to ante up a little bit more into the kitty. We are going to raise the level of the test and talk about how God builds faith when we are not the ones that are in danger, but those we love are the ones are in danger. Now, turn to this chapter if you have your scriptures with you, and I will read <clears throat> what would be a very odd uh, scripture on a Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, by the way. Um, it talks about uh, Abraham uh, on the way to sacrificing his son Isaac. Yeah, we hope at least it's odd for you. For some of you this morning, it may be, may fit. I don't know. But <clears throat> let me just uh, read this in three parts. And uh, uh, I'm going to read a part and then stop and, and talk for a little while, and, and uh, as is my custom. Now, after... Uh, now, it came uh, about after these things, is the beginning of the sentence. After, after what things? <clears throat> after God had promised a son to Abraham and, Isaac, or Abraham and Sarah, who were way too old to have children. After he had promised that, and they had waited 25 years for the birth of that son, looking forward to the birth of that son. That's one of the things that this came after. 
after God had repeatedly said to Abraham that through this son, your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. All of the families on earth will be blessed through this son. After those things, after the son had not only been born, but been raised to be what is apparently a godly young man, after Abraham had had time to love him, invest his life into him, hope that he would take the spiritual mantle from Abraham, after he had grown, the historian Josephus says that by this time Isaac could have been 25 years old. Some people, through a symbolism of Christ, say he was 33 years old at this time. After he was not only born, but had grown into a very important part of Abraham's life. After those things, after these things, God tested Abraham. Now let me pause right here and just give a little note to all of you. I hope that you never come under the illusion that you will ever get to the level of life that you are past testing as a matter of fact, it is very important for you to understand that tests are very likely to escalate as you grow in maturity. That the fire will get hotter as you go along. Abraham had been a faithful servant of God. And he had been tested several times and had come through them with more or less success. But now, in the years of his life, that he was hoping to relax probably... He was over a hundred years old by this time. He had seen this strong, young, faithful man grow up and he was hoping to pass the, 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 the responsibility on to this young man. He came to the most severe test of his life. It was like that for Jesus also. Jesus was tested at the beginning of his ministry. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness to be tested. By the way, it is of God that we're tested. It is of Satan that we are tempted. It is of God that we are tested. You know why? There's no way you can be strong without being tested. I hope when I say faith, you don't, you don't think of this air-headed, silly kind of, well, I just believe in everything, whatever comes out is fine. I hope when I say faith, there is, after this year, this... This image of your mind of absolute strength. Well, strength is like patience. There is no easy way to get it. You know, when you pray for strength, you don't know exactly what you're praying for. You really don't take into account what that means. It means that God will break you until you will be built back stronger. That's the way the thing works. And so... With Jesus at the beginning, he was led out into the wilderness to be te tested, and he, and he passed that one. But at the end of his life, after he had been faithful all this time, you see him in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating blood. The test is so severe that he can't help but bleed ahead of time. The most severe test came at the last, and so as we progress, the test will increase in their severity. Probably increase in their severity. I want you to know that's because God is making you strong. You know, you can still go to the Middle East these days and go to the open market and see a metal worker, uh, a silver worker, say. And, and they melt down the silver. And, and you will see 
when they first do that, immediately impurities come to the top, form dross or what we would know as scum. And what they do is they scoop that off and it looks clear. But they keep boiling it. And after a while, more impurities, probably fewer impurities come to the top. Scoops it off. Keeps boiling it. Keeps boiling it. Keeps boiling it. Keeps scooping. Keeps boiling. You know, when you first become a Christian, it's rather easy to get rid of the rather obvious things. Or at least they're the most immediately apparent. But when God continues to turn up the heat, the impurities continue to rise and God continues to scoop them off. You know what? That metal worker will know that it's time to make that into a usable piece of jewelry, a usable tool, a pure, strong tool, because all of those impurities mean weakness. That's what impurities do. They weaken the metal. And that, that metal worker will know that it's time to stop boiling. You know when? When he can look over what he has just boiled and he can see his own image so clearly, it's like he's looking in a mirror. You know when God's going to finally turn the heat down on you? When he can look in your life and see himself so clearly, it's like looking in a mirror. If you're not there yet, the fire is still going to come. Now, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son. I want you to see as we read through this the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Your only son. Whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early. The commentators say, what a wonderful disciplined man Abraham was to rise early, even on a morning like this. I guarantee he didn't sleep all night. Would you sleep if God came and told you to sacrifice one of your children? No, he just laid there. Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. And took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Let's talk just for a moment about what it's like to walk alongside someone who by all appearances look like they're headed for destruction. Look like they're headed for disaster. And let's talk about this not in the theoretical sense, but in the existential sense. Because all of you, I bet, know somebody right now who's walking alongside you, somebody who God has put in your life, and you can see them just headed for disaster. If they keep on like they're going, you know they're walking right into their doom. What occurs to you as you're walking along? How difficult is it for you to continue to walk beside somebody who is headed for disaster. I want to tell you, Abraham had ambivalent feelings just like you have ambivalent feelings. Probably two things occurred to Abraham as they occur to you. The first thing anybody asks themselves when they see somebody who's headed for disaster is this. Is it my fault if they crash? What did I have to contribute to this impending doom? I don't think Abraham was free from that thought, even though he had heard clearly the voice of God. 
I think Abraham struggled. You know, he lived in a society where it was the custom for the religions that surrounded him to offer their firstborn to the gods. I suspect that Abraham said to himself, is there something of this heathen culture that has so infected my life that now it will harm my child? How many of you say that same thing? When you see your kids just going toward destruction, and the first thing you say is, how much of this is my fault? How much of this did I pick up from the pagan culture that surrounds me and I have transmitted that to my child? I wish I could tell you all it's none of our fault. I wish I could tell you that, but I happen to be a father. I happen to be a father of three so far great young men. But the destructive tendencies they have in their lives, I can see I've had a part of transmitting those. And I can see that I have not done a full job of siphoning off all of the contamination of the culture in order to raise my kids. So there is some guilt as we walk along. And we've got to recognize that. But we've also got to recognize that even as we have some guilt and even as they have some responsibility, this is key. We are not walking along outside of God's grace. We are not, this is not our idea. This is not our walk. This is not our whole uh, devised, manipulated scene. This is God's scene. You are not beyond His sovereignty or on his, beyond His grace. So therefore, we can take heart and we can continue to walk even though we have some guilt. This also is very important. You probably, if you're walking along with someone who is headed for destruction. By the way, let me tell you this. <clears throat> Becky was good enough to come and listen to this last night. And she always helps me out uh, and thinks of things I haven't thought of. And she said, Hunter, it's a solid message except for one thing. I can see some gal or guy there with premarital romance in their eyes tomorrow. And they're going to be thinking that you're saying stick with a non-Christian, abusive, you know, Lulu head, you know, because that's what they just, they just need to walk alongside and marry them so they can help them out. I want to tell you, this sermon does not apply to premarital romance. You know why? Because premarital romance is a deal all of its own. C.S. Lewis once said, companionship, I like this, companionship is enjoying or suffering something together. When you are enjoying or suffering one another, that's not companionship. <laughs> Think about that. Premarital, premarital romance is mostly enjoying or suffering one another. And, and, and so, so God never calls you to be unequally yoked in your marriage... As a matter of fact, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a stricture against that in Scripture. So I'm not, I'm not saying, uh, please uh, walk alongside somebody headed for doom and marry them. I'm saying that there is a certain number of people that God puts in our lives, especially our children, 
but also some of our friends that are just headed for disaster. And here is the, this is the second point. We have this, we have this probably these ambivalent feelings. You know, I've I, I, I got to help them, but I can't look. You know, I've got to be a part of this, but I can't be a part of this. I, I've got to let somebody else handle it. I'm too close. And Abraham must have felt that. I, I, you know, I'm taking along these two guys. Let them go do the deed. You know, maybe I ought to just detach. That's a, that's a great word these days. Detach and save myself. Remember when we said last week, uh, the, 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 the motto of doubt is, you know, you can't really help these people. Save yourself at least. And the motto of faith is, you can't really save yourself. Help these people. And this is why Abraham didn't detach. He walked along even though it was painful for him. And even though he knew he wasn't the one in trouble. He would have to share that pain. He would have to share that trouble. You know, I had somebody in my life like that. I, I had a friend when I was in uh, early high school. And uh, we walked along. We were both just pagan and heathen as, as you can get. But we, got into, we, got, we were ornery in many ways. And one of the ways was cussing. We cussed all the time. You know, we thought it was, it's a macho thing. You know, if you're a man, you cuss. Because we'd heard it, you know, from all our, you know, everybody cussed, you know, we cussed. So we'd walk to school, we'd cuss. I'd, I'd cuss for a while, and he'd cuss for a while. I'd cuss for a while, and he'd cuss. We kind of had a litany going, you know. I'd cuss, he'd cuss, you know. And it was kind of, and it's good because you don't like to sin alone. It's, you know, sin's lonely enough as it is, you know. So it's good to have somebody kind of returning the sin and encouraging you in your sin. And so I'd, we're, I'd cuss, he'd cuss, I'd cuss, he'd cuss. You know, and, 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 and one day we were walking to school, you know, and, and somebody you know, went by and sliced snow on us. Boy, I just cussed up a blue storm. He didn't say anything. Well, we'd walk along and it was cold and I said, and I blankety blank cold isn't got blank, blank, blank. He didn't say anything. I was doing all the cussing. He wasn't doing he wasn't cussing back. I was getting real uncomfortable because like I said, it's lonely to sin alone. It's it's a it's a terrible you know what? This is cool. You can never, ever, ever do acts of righteousness alone. Did you ever think of that? Well, anytime you do an act of kindness, anytime you, 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 you do something good, you never do it alone. God's always there with you. If you sin, you're on your own, you know? And that's why people always want people to sin with them. They're always looking for, you know, a crowd. Well, here, I'm going, I'm going along and I'm, and I'm cussing, he's not cussing himself. I got to school, I said, Army, his name was Mike Armstrong. Army, what's the deal? You didn't cuss today. He looked at me and said, I, I just didn't feel like it. I said, well, okay, you know. Next day we're walking to school. I'm cussing. He's not cussing. I'm cussing. He's not cussing. I'm really getting mad at him now. I'm getting uncomfortable. You know, you don't like you don't like to be around when you're sinning. You don't want to be around people who aren't. It makes you uncomfortable. And and you know we stopped at the store and bought some stuff. And he didn't have any money. He always had money. I couldn't figure it out. So about two or three days of this passed, and I finally just said, "What is the deal? You know, you're not cussing. You don't have enough money. What's the deal here? What's going on?" He looked at me and said, well, you know Bill, Jewel. Bill was another friend of ours. His dad was a minister. And I said, yeah. He said, well, I went to Bill's church, and uh, they, uh, it was a revival, and I got saved. And I said, what? He said, I got, I got saved, and so I, I just don't want to cuss anymore. I said, what does it mean you got saved? He said, well, for you, it means I don't cuss when you cuss. <laughs> 
This is very simple. And he says, and I don't have the money because I'm giving it to the to the church, to the Lord, you know. So I just what it means. And, and I said, well, does this mean you're going to try and convert me? He said, no, I'm not going to try and convert you. He says, does this mean we don't walk to school together anymore? No, it doesn't mean anything like that. It just means when you cuss, you're going to cuss. And I'm not. Well, okay, you know, he's still my buddy. He's still. I want to tell you that he walked with me for six years. Four years of high school, two years of college. Every day we walked together, literally walked together. And every day I said and did things that now I see must have occurred to him. I was headed for disaster. I was headed for doom. I was headed for hell. But he never left me. Every day he walked with me. And many days I would make fun of him. He never left me. I want to tell you, it may be tough to not let those sinners do it on their own. Now, the Bible says if sin walks away from you, let it go. But it also says provide a witness. And that's exactly what this guy did for me. And when I finally, when the Lord finally got a hold of me, I knew then what he had gone through for six years. Now, let's take a second look at that scripture passage. Verse 5. Well, verse 4. On the third day, again, with the foreshadowing of Christ, of the resurrection of Christ. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. And we will worship and return to you. We will worship and return to you. What does that mean? Well, Soren Kierkegaard has a, has a wonderful um, um, analysis of this situation. He was, he was fascinated by this whole process. Uh, wrote a book called Fear and Trembling. And he says, when you face this kind of contradiction in your faith, when, when God has made a promise and told you one thing, i.e., you know, I'm going to work great good here, and then the circumstances which seem to involve God are just the opposite. You can react to that in two ways. The first way, as a believer, is to be a person of what he calls infinite resignation. That is to say, you just sign off. You just say, you know, this is God's deal. This isn't my deal. And so, therefore, I'm really not going to be very attached to the world. I'm just going to kind of live in the infinite. And, and just kind of curl up in God's arms and, and let him take care of all this stuff down here. And you kind of withdraw. Which is exactly, by the way, what Job did. This isn't a horrible thing. This isn't a horrible thing. It's an understandable thing. But it's exactly what Job did. When all of the, all of the calamities happened to, to Job, he didn't ever hope to get it back again. He just resigned himself to it. This verse that is read so often in funerals, this Job 121 says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See? Infinite resignation. I, you know, God, this is your deal. I'm, I'm out of here. That is a temptation when we're walking along with people that we love. 
is just to say, you're Dale. You're Dale. I can't watch. I can't stick her. I can't, I can't really involve myself anymore because I'm going to get, I'm going to get crushed and there's no use two of us getting crushed. However, there is a second approach and that is called the man of faith. And the man of faith or the woman of faith sees that God is going to do something. He has no idea how he's going to do something. But he believes that God's going to do something. When Abraham says, stay here and we'll go up and then we'll return, what was he saying? He didn't know. He didn't know how God was going to do it. He only knew this. God's not going to contradict himself. God's going to bring to pass what he said he was going to bring to pass. How's he going to do it? Have no idea. One of the ways we know he was thinking that is through Hebrews 11, verse 19. Look at what it says. It said he... Now listen, verse 17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And then it says in verse 19, He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. One of the things that Abraham was thinking was this. You know what? Even if I have to go through with this thing. Even if I have to sacrifice Isaac. And it wasn't just a matter of stabbing him and burning him. Sacrifices at that time were divided. There was a dismemberment involved. And Abraham's faith is so strong that he is saying, even if I have to kill my son, God's going to raise him up. Because he promised, he promised to populate the earth with my descendants and to bless the families of the earth. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he promised. Now let me ask you this. What do you think is real faith? Is real faith just saying, well, you know what, if God wants to intervene, he can. No, anybody can say that. An atheist can say that. If there's a God and he wants to intervene, he can. Now watch this. Real faith doesn't say God can. Real faith doesn't even say God will. Real faith says God has and I'm standing on it. Real faith sees that there is a provision although they don't know what the provision is. They have no idea what the provision is. Let, let's, let me get into just a little bit of next week's message, because that's what we talk about the provision next week. Watch this. It says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. You see the symbolism there of the wood laid upon the sacrificial son, the cross laid upon Christ. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and and walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? See, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. How horrible would that have been to, to be that dad? And, and what would he say? Well, this is what he said. But Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. 
So the two of them walked on together. You know, the word in Hebrew isn't provide, it's see. It's see. God, in other words, has already come up with this, and he will see it, and we will see it when it's time. Open my eyes that I might see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hand the wonderful key that shall unlock and set me free. It is a matter. Faith is not just enduring the unbearable. It is, it is seeing. Seeing. Well, next week we'll talk about the provision that God has made for all of you, for all of us. But I want to say one more thing while we walk along this week and do not depart from those. Just two hints. First of all, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you not to detach from those who are headed for trouble. You may need some distance. You may need some rest. You may need a place of respite. All of that's okay. But let me ask you this. How are you ever going to see what God's going to do if you quit looking? How are you ever going to see that? See, that's the deal. If God's going to build our faith, we've got to keep looking. And we've got to look forward with excitement. Do you realize every day that you walk along, even with somebody who's headed for disaster, you have another chance of seeing what God's going to do? I was talking to somebody last week, and he said, 17 years ago, I sat across the table from a doctor, and he told me I had one year to live. I said, what did you say? He said, I said, praise the Lord. I said, why did you say that? And he said, he said, that's what the doctor said. He said, the doctor said, why did you say that? And he said, well, God only gives me a day at a time. You just gave me a whole year. <laughs> Do you understand? Every day that you last with a person, and you love a person, even though they're headed for destruction, you have another chance to see what God's going to do. It may take years, but every day is a step closer to that. If you quit looking, you're going to miss it. Don't miss it. Stick with them. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Stick with it. And yes, it is painful. But isn't that exactly what God did when He came down and walked along with us? We were headed straight for destruction. And yes, it was painful to watch what, what we were doing with ourselves, but he walked along. Remember that story I told a long time ago about a little kid who's at a supper table, and he's just off the charts, you know, being an idiot, and, and they're eating spaghetti. And of course, he's taking every one of the spaghetti things and sucking them up, and the spaghetti's going like this, and of course, red spots all over everything, you know. And the, and the, and the, the dad says... Junior, you do that one more time and you're going to march right up to the attic and just sit there. Well, that's like drawing a line in the sand and saying, don't cross over here. You know exactly what he's going to do. Next thing he gets in, he's one of those strands and it's going like this. And he said, that's it. No more supper. You march right upstairs. Well, the kid hadn't really fathomed that, as most of us don't until the punishment comes. Hadn't fathomed what that action meant. And then, when the punishment was pronounced, he remembered how dark and lonely the attic was and how he hated it. And he started whimpering. And Dad's heart 
got real soft. But he couldn't go back on his word. He, he pronounced the judgment. He had to stick to it. So the little kid goes up the attic. His knees are hard to hold him up. He goes in and shuts the door and he's just sitting in there in the dark. A few minutes later, here's the footsteps. <laughs> there is dad's. And quietly, his dad just walks in, closes the door, sits for a few minutes, and out of the dark and the silence, his son hears his voice. I just came up to share your punishment with you. It's exactly what God did in Jesus Christ. Exactly. You have that nature. In His character, you can do that for the people who are walking along. You can, you can share the pain. And secondly, don't give up praying. Don't give up looking. You know, I love to come here on Wednesday nights because we pray, but what we include in the prayer time are testimonies. You know what the testimonies are? They're an end look at what prayer does. So many of us get discouraged with prayer because, because we don't see any, we don't hear about the end results. Nobody tells about the results, you know, so we, can go, we just keep thinking, well, we're going at this thing and we're not making any progress. When you hear results about the glorious end, you know, you get encouraged to go on. Well, look toward the end. Open your eyes toward the end. Understand God is going to do You don't know, you don't have any idea how he's going to, how he's going to work this into his plan. But you keep looking toward that end. I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I'll, I'll close with this. A couple of weeks ago, I, I uh, read... Uh, Something about Bob Schuler when he was a little kid had uh, taken uh, piano lessons. His piano teacher said this. He said, Bob, she said, Bob, I want you to practice the end of a song twice as much as you practice any other part. Well, he did. You know, he did that. But after a while, he get, got kind of curious. And uh, he finally looked at her and said, Why do you want me to do this? She said, Because you can make a mistake at the beginning. You can even make a mistake in the middle. But if you end gloriously, nobody remembers. Now, I want to tell you, that's our lives. <laughs> we can make these mistakes, but if we end gloriously, it fits. God has put it all together. Now, before we pray, we're going to have just a brief time of prayer. But before we pray, I want the worship team to come back. And there's this song that is just absolutely nails this message. And I want Sharon to come and sing that song. And then we're going to have some time where we are praying for both ourselves and those who are walking along beside us.
And unlike Isaac, they are not all that innocent. So many are sabotaging their own lives. And it is so frustrating. We carry around some guilt because we, in many cases, have been a contributing factor. And we need your forgiveness. But we carry also anger and frustration. and We just want to shake them. We want to somehow intervene and and be the answer and we know we're not we can't change them all we can do is walk alongside 
Give us strength to do that. And now, to pray in the role of Isaac. Some of us are headed for destruction. And we know it. We just keep trying the same stuff over and over again. It doesn't work. It's getting worse. And we know in our hearts that somewhere down the line there's got to be a sacrifice. It's either us or it's someone God's provided. God, for anybody in that position this morning, let them open their eyes and see it doesn't have to be them. Because Jesus has already died to take away their punishment. Help them to turn even now and say, God, thank you for that provision. I choose that. And some people who are walking along, Lord, don't have a clue that they're headed for destruction. And we would pray your intervention. We don't know how you'll do it. But God, you're God. And we don't have to know. We believe that you will work out your purpose no matter how bad it gets. Whether or not they are saved from hurt and pain, we know still you can work your plan out of this. We have confidence that you can raise even that which has been destroyed. God, help us to look forward to that with the eyes of faith. We believe in you. Not in circumstances. Not in ourselves. We believe in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.